Psalm 130. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord, more than watchmen for the morning, more than watchmen for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption. And he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. The word of the Lord. Morning. All right, my name is Dan. I'm on the, uh, the leadership team here at Trailhead Church, and uh, it's good to, good to see you all this morning. I um, just want to make one comment real quick, just a reminder again about our membership class coming up. Um, if uh, you've been attending Trailhead Church for a while and um, have not yet become a member, we want to invite you into that. Our membership class will be starting um, in just a, a couple weeks, there are sign-ups out at the connection point. Um, so if you want to make your way out there and sign up, we want you to be a part of um, mission with us, part of our community. And in the membership class, you'll get to learn what, what we're about, what we believe, and um, learn about God in, in that process. And so we want to invite you into that. So if, if, uh, if you're game for that and would like to do that, uh, please make your way um, after the service to the connection point and and sign up. Um, so as I mentioned before, my name is Dan, and uh, I'm the, the care deacon is the, the title, I guess, here at Trailhead, Trailhead Church. So that means all the response cards that you, you guys fill out, um, those, those come to me, and, and I try to help and make sure that those get uh, followed up on, and the leadership team is, is praying uh, for those. Uh, I'm 33 years old, and uh, you might be asking the question, does this guy know that his beard is red and his hair is brown? Is, is he aware of that? And uh, I will say yes, and it is not dyed. I do not use, uh, not that there's anything wrong with this, but I don't use uh, Just for Men on, on my face, and I picked out the wrong color. It's not, not the case. Um, I can show you the, the gray ones to, to prove it. Um, but uh, just to further introduce myself, um, coming out of a, of a crazy week this past week, um, so last weekend I was out of town um, with... Uh, my good friend Jason, we were in, in Omaha at another church there, um, going through some, some training and, and networking with them. And then uh, working full-time this week, and I started classes um, this, uh, this Tuesday as well as a full-time student. Um, so I'm actually getting ready to, uh, on Tuesday, will be my last day uh, at my current employer, uh, quitting a a good IT job uh, that I have there, and uh, going to be a full-time student, and hopefully in three years I will have a degree in counseling. Um, so all that's been going on this week, last week, full week at my job, um, starting classes, and then uh, managed to get myself sick as well. So if you hear kind of the, the nasally sound, um, that's, that's what that is. So anyway... Um, we're going to dig in this morning to Psalm 130. And uh, so let's read, if you'll read with me, the first two verses. Again, it's page 518 in your Bibles, the Black Bibles. 
It says, out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. So here the, the psalmist is just sharing where he's at. His sense what he's, he's feeling, that he's in just this depth of, of darkness. He's in a rough, a rough place. He's crying out to God, God, will you just hear, will you hear my pleas of mercy? Um, so it was a, a few months ago um, that, that I selected this passage. I knew I would be speaking this morning. And uh, Steve and I had been in, in prayer and been talking that as I um, potentially get into the rotation here, speaking here at Trailhead, that I would at some point share my story and share what God has brought me through and how God has given me joy uh, in the midst of it. And as I continued to dig into this passage, I thought, you know what, I think it's, I think it's time. I think um, this is what I need to, need to share. And so Steve and I prayed about that, and, and Steve agreed and said, yeah, let's, let's do this. So this morning, um, we're going to go deep, and I'm going to share some of just my, the darkness, um, and my sin from my past, and um, how God has brought me through that and led me to a joy in the midst of, of the waiting that I've endured uh, in that process. So I grew up here in the area. I'm a uh, native of um, Granite City, Illinois. Nice uh, blue-collar steel town. Uh, that's where I was born and, and raised, and I'm still, still living there. And um, had awesome parents, and uh, they loved God deeply. And I grew up in a in a charismatic church there in, in Granite City. And um, part of, of my background as I began to grow older uh, in the church, um, I was excited and, and wanted to do uh, ministry. I wanted to be a part of everything that I could potentially, anywhere where I could potentially serve God and anything I could be a part of, um, I wanted to, to jump in. And I think I was probably a part of just about every ministry at the church except for maybe women's ministry. And I'm sure I probably set up chairs or tables or something for them, them as well. Um, but you name it, and uh, I had, had done something, served in some way um, with that. So as a teen and young adult, I was doing all of this ministry. I was playing on the worship team. Um, I was teaching Sunday school. We had a, a boys group like... Boy Scouts, and I was, I was teaching in that, and eventually I became um, the youth, youth leader on a volunteer basis, and I was leading the youth ministry, and just doing all of these things, all of these things I thought I could do for God, and God was, was using me in, um, and the whole time, the whole time I was doing all of these things, um, I had some hidden sin. I had, some, I had an addiction that um, I wasn't willing to were able to talk about. I didn't feel like it was safe for me to, to share that. Um, I, didn't, I didn't know where to go with it. And I was leading everyone to this persona of all these great things I could do, all these things I could do for God, all these ways I could earn God's favor and how he would look on me with delight because I was doing X, Y, and Z for, for him. And I was serving him in, in these various ways. But at the same time, carrying shame and carrying guilt because I had an addiction to pornography. 
And so I hid. I hid. I couldn't let anyone know that I had messed up, that I was covering the sin, um, because then that would change how they approved of me, how they saw me, um, potentially change what my opportunities were to serve, and how I was perceived. But I had this, this grief. I knew that my sin was, was wrong. I knew that it was not okay. But I didn't know what to do with it. I didn't know, um, like, like the psalmist here, how he cried out out of his depths. He cried out to God. I didn't, I didn't get that. So I had grief. I, I knew I was in the depths, like the psalmist. Um, but didn't know where to go. Well, my freshman year uh, in college, so I went to school here in the area, and um, my freshman year I met this wonderful uh, young woman. And we dated all four years um, that I was in college. And then uh, eventually um, we got married. And uh, so I have a picture for you. Um, this is uh, me in 2001, um, a little more... Uh, hair on top then, and uh, 21 years old, and uh, that's my, my wife there, that was our, our wedding night, and um, so the, the week before that, I had just graduated school with my degree, bachelor's degree in, in biology, and uh, the next weekend, got married. Now, what I didn't, didn't expect, um, see, that was a good year, There's lots of things going on there, graduated, got married, started my uh, my job that I've been in ever since. Um, it was a good year. And I didn't expect that five years later I would be signing divorce papers. I didn't expect that. Um, see, what happened is I had this hidden sin, which persisted through my marriage. I was doing all of this stuff for God thinking that that was earning me favor or at least compensating for my sin. Um, I was not loving and leading my wife well. And um, continuing in that sin. And there was a young woman on um, my youth ministry team um, in her early 20s that um, began to cry on my shoulder because she had just broken up with her boyfriend. And... Um, she was sharing that with me. She would tell me how sad she was, how upset. She would complain, why, why isn't this different? And, and then she would also share how she respected me and how she appreciated me. And as you can imagine, um, because I didn't have good boundaries, because my heart wasn't in the right place, I had sin in my heart, um, one thing led to another. And it began an emotional affair, which then led into um, an adulterous affair that I was engaging in. And it was easy for me to continue to hide it because I had hid sin for quite a while. This was just a deeper mess of sin that I was getting myself into. Um, and I continued to hide it. And people didn't suspect, because they saw all of these outward things that I did, and I didn't suspect that I would be capable of doing something like that. So it, it went on for um, about a year that I was hiding all of this, and there were some rumors circulating, and, and some people were starting to pick up on things that were, that were odd. Um, and it came to a point where I knew I needed to make a decision. 
I knew I needed to do something. I either needed to, to end the affair and make it right, or I needed to run, and I needed to go with the affair. And unfortunately, I chose to run. I didn't know how to go to God with my sin. I didn't know that I could cry out to him and receive forgiveness. I didn't know what that looked like. So one Saturday evening, um, I knew I needed to do something. And so I remember uh, sitting my wife down. Uh, We were in our basement. She was watching TV. And I sat her down and told her that what was, what was going on. I told her that the rumors were true. I told her what I had been doing, and I told her I was leaving. And I'll never forget the look on her face of just being overwhelmed with sadness. Um, not even being able to, to speak to me and share, not say anything um, because of, of the sadness that she was feeling and how I hurt her, how deeply I hurt her. And I left her in that place. I left. And I remember driving through Granite. Um, it was around, probably around midnight when I had left. Um, and the surreal feeling, because I don't want to read too much into this, but it's significant for, for me. Um, the power was out in Granite. And so I'm driving through Granite on my way to a hotel. I had just dropped this bomb on my wife feeling the weight of my sin, and it's completely and utterly dark. Completely dark. And that, after that point, began a process of a lot of back and forth. Um, I knew what was the right thing to do. I had um, family members and friends that were praying for me and trying to encourage me to do the right thing. And I knew it was the right thing to do would be to end the affair and work things out with my wife. But I I didn't know how. And I would try, do better, try harder. And it didn't work out so well for me. I wasn't able to fix it. I wasn't able to make it right. And honestly, because of the sin in my heart, I didn't have a, a desire to for the right reasons. It wasn't there. So after a few months of back and forth, me trying to fix things, me trying to make things right, me trying to be faithful, um, my wife had uh, caught me again communicating with this other woman. And she said, enough's enough. I can't, I can't do this anymore. Um, so you've made your decision. And so she went and got a lawyer and had the divorce papers um, drafted. And so in the fall of 2006, um, we signed the divorce papers. And I chose my sin. I chose to to leave her. And that began the most miserable year, um, absolutely the most miserable year of my life. I lost all of my friends. I had uh, family members that weren't speaking to me. Um, Carrying the, the weight, the guilt, and shame um, of my sin, very quickly learning the grass isn't always greener on the other side, learning the hard way, 
learning that if I just ran, things would, they're not going to get better. But then um, a coworker knew that, that I used to go to church and I had quit. And uh, she invited me to come check out this church uh, called The Journey. And um, I thought, okay, I can do this. I'd like to get back in church. Um, it would be good. And I'm absolutely miserable right now, so maybe this will, will help with that. Um, so I went, and I thought, here's this church in St. Louis that I can go to where, where no one knows me. Um, there have been some articles written about them that, that my coworker was sending me just to kind of read up, and there's a little bit of controversy. And so the journey kind of seemed like a, an accepting, welcoming church. Um, we can talk more about that later if you have questions. But uh, there's a little bit of controversy. I thought, okay, this church, I can, go, I can go here and I can take my mistress and no one will know who I am. And I can just start over and it'll be fine. And so I went, we went, and I absolutely loved it. I was blown away. Um, I looked around and saw that 90% of the people were around my age demographic. Um, and in my, the church I grew up in, that was called it the black hole of ministry. There was just not many people between 20 and 35 there. And I thought, okay, they must be doing something right. This place must be pretty cool if, if there are all these people here, here my age. Like, this is going to be good. And Pastor Darren began teaching in a, in a way that I hadn't really heard before. It was different. I was hearing things that I hadn't quite heard the way that he was putting it, things about the gospel and about Christ and our standing in relation to God. And I started hearing God again. God put me in a place where I would start listening again. He was speaking to me the whole time. I just wasn't listening. Um, and I knew I need to be here. This is where I need to be. So I was going, um, not every week, but I was going fairly often. And um, my mistress, uh, she went the first time with me, and that was it. She says, I, I don't want to go back there. I, I, hate, I hate it. I, I don't want to go back there. The church is too large. People weren't friendly. Um, I was uncomfortable. I don't want to go back there. And I told her, I'm like, I'm sorry, this is where I need to be. And I went anyway. I went without her. Naturally, that was causing even more tension in an already unhealthy relationship full of tension. And uh, I went. I went. Then I got connected with um, a uh, pastor from the journey. He was an elder at the journey that was planting a church here in here in Edwardsville, um, a church called The Mission, uh, which if, you, if you've heard the story, The Mission was the pre, um, it's a church that started before the Journey Metro East, which is now Trailhead. Um, our origins are tied to that. And uh, I sat down with, his name was, the pastor there was Rich, and I sat down with Rich. I had emailed him and we, we connected, and I wanted to check this thing out, see what was happening in Edwardsville. And we sat down at, a, at the Denny's in, uh, here in, in Glen Carbon, Edwardsville. And uh, it was funny because um, we had never met each other before. And uh, he walked in and went to the wrong part of the, the restaurant. There's L-shaped, and he went to the wrong part. And he was looking for a, a, uh, 
a guy that's sitting there by himself waiting for him, and I think there were three or four other guys there sitting by themselves, and I think he approached every one of them before <laughs> approaching me because uh, we didn't know what each other looked like. And uh, finally he made his way over and, and found me. And um, we sat down, and he, he uh, began sharing with me his vision and what he hoped God was going to do through this church uh, in, in this community. And he walked me through all the plans and all the hopes and dreams. Um, and then he started to ask me questions about, uh, about myself. And I gave him my ministry resume. He asked me about my faith story. And I told him, well, you know, I remember going down to the, the front of the church. It was a children's event. And I remember going down and giving my life to Christ, asking him into my heart. And, and then all this ministry stuff I would rattle off. And uh, he, he, you know, he listened, and he says, well, that's, that's, that's cool. I appreciate you telling me all of that, um, but what's your, like, what's your faith story? Where has God brought you? Where is God, where do you see God's gospel in your life? And I didn't have a category for that. I didn't know what, what that meant. Like, well, you know, I asked Jesus to come in my heart. What's, what, else, what else is there? You know, trying to do the right thing, trying to serve. And as we, we chatted... And I started to get convicted that here I was trying, again, as I had done for so long, trying to give a persona of someone that that I wasn't, at least not completely, not the whole picture. And there, on a Saturday morning at Denny's, um, I unloaded on this guy. First time I'd met him. And shared with him all of the stuff that I've just shared with you. And I didn't know what, what to expect. Okay, what's, what's going to happen here? Is he going to say, okay, that's, that's it, see ya? Uh, or, no, you, I don't want you to be a part of this, this church or tell me to do better, try harder. And he looked at me. Little did I know he was the, the counseling and shepherding pastor at the, at the journey before he left. Um, he looked across the table at me and says, Dan, I can tell. I can tell you're broken. I can tell you're hurting. I can tell you're carrying the weight of this. He's like, I want to help you through it. And he began to share with me the gospel in a way that I hadn't heard before. He began to share with me about God's forgiveness, about God's grace, and that I didn't have to earn God's favor. There's nothing I could do to earn it that Jesus had already earned it for us. So I began processing through that, began to understand that, um, as Paul said in, the Apostle Paul said in Romans, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died for me where I was at, in my sin and in my darkness. And Rich would, would say to me, we began meeting weekly, um, Saturday mornings, and he would say, Dan, you know, you need, to, you need to end this, right? You need to end this relationship. I said, yeah, yeah, I know, I know. And a week would go by, and we'd sit down again, and sometimes I would almost want to cancel with him. Well, I can't, can't meet this morning, but I knew I needed to. I knew I needed it. Um, he'd ask me again, I said, Dan, have you... You ended it yet? Said, well, well, no, not not yet. 
He'd encourage me again. Van, you need to you need to do this, and then he would share more of how um, God delighted in me and how God had died for the sin. Jesus died for the sin that I had committed. And so finally, after after several weeks, I'd probably say it was it was a slow process for me, and Rich was just patient. Um, he uh, demonstrated God's patience with us in that situation. Um, and so finally, I, I told this this other woman. I said, "I can't. I'm not going to do this anymore." And I made her move out. Um, I had had an apartment after my my divorce, um, and she had immediately moved in. And uh, I said, "You need to you need to go back home, and um, we're we're done." And that was excruciating for me, um, because I loved my sin. Uh, so deeply that I desired it so much even though I knew it wasn't right um, but God began leading me to repentance and freeing me from that and so she moved out and um, a few weeks later it wasn't immediately again I was still entrenched in my sin to a degree um, God was still leading me to true repentance Um, finally ended and cut off all communication uh, with her. Um, And in God's grace, he actually, I can't, I I definitely don't want to try to make this out like I did the right thing and I can take credit for it. Um, God brought someone else in her path, and so immediately she just jumped into that. Um, And so that, in God's grace and his mercy to me, um, he helped me out of that situation. So as God was leading me to repentance, um, I was able to repent to him, acknowledge my sin, and deal with it. I was able to go back to my home church and repent to my pastor for having been a leader in ministry and hiding that sin. And then going back and and sitting down with my ex-wife and apologizing to her for the hurt and the pain that I had caused her. And God was doing a lot in that, in that process, a lot in my heart. And um, I thought, okay, here God's, God's doing all of these awesome things um, and freeing me from this. Um, so here he's, he's bringing me to repentance. I'm going, I'm doing the right thing and apologizing to, to my ex-wife. Um, this is, this is going to be good. This is going to be okay. It's going to work out. And I sat down with her, and she accepted my apology with tears. Um, she was grateful for it. Um, but she said, Dan, I can't, I can't go back. I can't go back there. You've caused too much hurt. You've caused too much pain. I can't trust you. So it's not like we can just be friends now, and everything's going to be Okay. And that's where we left that conversation. And that, that conversation was in 2007. Um, so I thought, okay, where, where do I go? Where do I go from here? You know, is, is that done? Do I just, okay, she, she didn't accept or she rejected um, anything more than the apology? She rejected us re-entering a relationship? So, well, do I just, just move on? 
do I start dating again? And, and that's that. And the leadership um, at the time, the mission and, and what the leadership, Steve, has continued to encourage me with, and as I process through the scripture with them, um, to me it's very clear that God is saying, and you need to wait. That, that I had sinned against her. And I was unfaithful to my marriage covenant. And I needed to continue to pursue her. That I wasn't free just to go do my, my own thing and do whatever I wanted and to begin dating again. Um, so beginning to, to try to, uh, to pursue her amidst continual, consistent rejection. And being very frustrated with that, and God continuing to say, Dan, you need to wait. You need to wait. So I remember being frustrated after um, I thought I saw some a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel. I thought my ex-wife was starting to kind of respond to uh, some of my pursuit, and then it came to a, an abrupt stop. And I sat down with Steve, and I was very frustrated. And um, I thought, okay, what's you know, this isn't this isn't working. Am I free to to move on? She's obviously rejected. You know, what's next? And and um, Steve began to ask me questions about God's sovereignty. Did I believe that that God was sovereign? That He was in control of of everything, and that He could heal and change our hearts? Um, and he asked me the question, he said, Dan, who are, you, who are you waiting for? Are you waiting for your ex-wife? Or are you waiting on God? Who are you waiting for? Because if God is sovereign, then you're waiting on him. And I knew that that was, that was right. So, yeah, God is sovereign, Okay. God said, wait. God said, wait. And that was, it was a very confusing process because um, there's so many different views on marriage and divorce and what's permissible, what the scripture says. Um, some don't hold it in very high regard. Some are very um, conservative and very strict in regards to it. So how do I figure all of this out? And I'm thankful for um, the elders at, at the journey and for Steve and just walking through that with me with compassion and feeling the weight of it, not just dictating to me what I needed to do, but also grieving with me, sharing in my frustration, um, praying for me. Uh, I'm, I'm truly thankful for that. But let's admit, some of you may have thought as, as I shared that and saying God's telling me to wait and continue to pursue my ex-wife that has rejected me for five years now. And what are you, what are you doing? That's, that's kind of crazy. What about, what about God's grace? Hasn't, isn't that done? Can't you move on? Coworkers or unbelievers, friends that, that, that I have that don't believe in God or in, in Scripture, like, what are you? That's crazy. Like, that's, that's oppressive. And you need to just, just move on. And they don't, they don't understand. And God says, wait. See, what I didn't see is what God was doing 
is he was changing me in the process. I didn't understand that God wanted to do some things in me that were hard, but he wanted to bless me through it. He wanted to bless me through my time of waiting. And so what I want to share with you this morning, um, I mentioned earlier how God has used my waiting in this process to give me joy. That in this, God is giving me his best. Um, so I want to walk through that. So what, what are some ways that God uses waiting in our lives? What does, he, what does he do? How does he use that as a tool? And I have just a couple, couple points I want to make here, and these, of course, aren't, it's not an exhaustive list. These are just two items that are very applicable for me and for my story. But the first is that God uses waiting to reveal and transform our hearts. See, God knew... See, what was, what was my heart, what was my desire in the midst of my waiting? I wanted God to give me a relationship again. I wanted to be remarried, whether it be with my ex-wife or someone else. I wanted that marriage is a, is a good thing. Um, for you singles here, like it's a, it's a good thing. But for me, it became the thing. I saw sought my approval through it. And God was saying, Dan, I want you to desire me and to know me more than you desire this thing. So Dan, I want you to wait. He revealed that. He revealed in the midst of my waiting, in the midst of him calling me to submit to some teaching from the elders that I didn't quite understand calling me to submit and be patient in that in order to reveal what was at the heart of my sin. What was at the heart of my approval idolatry? I wanted people to, to think highly of me and perceive me well. And God wanted to address my sin of hiding, address my sin of, of the shame that I was carrying. So I wanted to remarry, I wanted to move on, and God said, wait. See, I was left with a choice. Daily, I honestly have a choice. That I can continue to submit, I can continue to wait. Or I can leave and change my circumstances on my own. I can do my own thing. I can choose to reject um, what I now believe Scripture says. What I now know is true. And I could chase after that. And in that, I would be saying, God, I care more about this thing, and I love this thing more than I love you. And God wanted to show me that. See, there's the potential with our struggles, with our pain. There's the potential that we want resolution or that circumstance to change more than we want God. More do we want to know him and experience him. We say, God, why, why won't you give me this, this thing? For me, it was restored relationship. God, why won't, you, why won't you give me this thing? And God says, I want you to wait. I want you to know me 
So what is that, what is it, that thing for you that God says, I'm calling you to wait. I want you to know me in the midst of it. I want you to trust me in the midst of it. So pastor and, and author, Paul Tripp, said this. He said, God uses the disappointment of misplaced hope to lead us to true hope. See, God uses, used the disappointment of me pursuing my ex-wife being rejected to say, Dan, your hope's not in that. Your hope is not in her response to your pursuit. Your hope's in me. Your hope's in me. Now, I can have hope that God might choose to restore that, but I'm not devastated if he doesn't. I'm not devastated if he chooses for me to wait longer. Because God says, I want you to know me. So my second point is that God uses waiting to lead us to true hope and to true joy. So looking again at, at the passage Psalm 130. Verse 5. As I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than the watchman for the morning. More than the watchman for the morning. See, what is, what is the psalmist waiting for here. He mentioned earlier that he was in the depths. He was crying out for mercy. And here he shares, he says, God, I'm waiting for you. I'm waiting for you. My soul waits. That's him saying everything in me, the deepest parts of me are waiting, God, for you. They're not waiting for just the circumstances to be changed. Says, God, I'm waiting for you. Theologian and author Charles Spurgeon said this. He said, If the Lord Jehovah makes us wait, let us do so with our whole hearts. For blessed are all they that wait for him. He is worth waiting for. He is worth waiting for. So I want to turn to another passage. So turn with me, flip to the right, to Philippians. It's Paul's letter to the church at, at Philippi, the Apostle Paul. It's on page 981, and you're in the black Bibles there in the chairs. We look at chapter 3, verses 8 and 9. Paul said this, verse 8. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Do we know God like that? 
do we know God in a way that says we're able to say, God, I desire you more than anything else? God, I desire you more than my sin, my own personal happiness that I think I may derive from other things. Paul here says, I count that all as, as garbage if I can know you. If I can know you. If I can know the God that forgives. If I can know the God that loves. See, this may sound strange, but I've been grateful. I've been grateful for the waiting and how God has used it. I'm glad that he's granted me the strength and the perseverance to wait and have me right where I'm at, at now. Why? Because it reminds me, it reminds me that I'm his, that he loves me, and he wants me to have true joy. I know that. I know that. In my heart, I know that. So you may be asking, okay, so I just mentioned love and how God loves me. And you may be asking the question, well, how, how can God love me if he doesn't give me this thing? How can God love me if he doesn't deliver me out of this suffering that I'm facing, out of this pain? How can God love me if he doesn't do that? That doesn't, doesn't make sense. If God loved me, he would do this. See, God loves us by not allowing us to substitute something for himself. God loves us by not allowing us to stay in a place where we desire something more than him. That's, that's sin. Anytime we, we love something else more than we love God, that's, that's sin. But God loves us enough. And see, John Piper, Pastor John Piper said this, that if God is the ultimate being in the universe, if God is the epitome of goodness, of justice, kindness, truth, love, if he is the epitome of that, what better thing could he give us than himself? What better thing could he give us? If he is all of those things, which I believe he is, what better thing could he give me than himself? And you see, I didn't know previously how to have that. I had the sin, the guilt, the shame that I was carrying, thinking that God didn't approve of me, thinking that God wasn't willing to give me himself, that this thing was keeping me separated from God, and I needed to perform. I needed to portray this image and work hard in order to have his acceptance. And God began to show me, he says, no, you, you don't have to do any of those things. And as God began to show me that my identity was not in those things that I did, in all of my service, and all of my ministry, that didn't earn me anything with God. Not one thing. As the psalmist wrote, looking again, Verses 3 and 4. It says, If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? 
but with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. He says, God, if you count our sins against us, who could stand? By our standards of performance, the most righteous person could not stand in God's presence on their own merit. Can't do it. Can't do it. None of us on our own have any better standing with God because we're sinful, we're broken. And God began showing me that it was not my identity. My performance was not my identity and did not define my relationship with him. And in the same way, he also began to show me that my identity was not in my shame. My identity was not in my guilt, and my identity was not in my sin. And I carried that. I carried that weight. And I began to see that, that God forgave me, that God was accepting me, that forgave me of my, my sin, continues to forgive me, of sin. But there's another piece um, that I hadn't mentioned yet. See, uh, a few years ago, a couple years ago, I went through this process. Um, we call it redemption groups. And I sat in this group where it's a group of men where we share, we look at the story of Exodus and we share our struggles, we share our pain, we share our sin. And I read something in, in the book that we, we followed and it talked about how we can know that God forgives us and accept that and then not forgive ourselves. And I was there. I was there. I knew that God, okay, this is, this is true. God says he forgives me. Christ paid the price for my sin, as crazy as that sounds, that God gives me a relationship with him when I don't deserve it. But my sin was awful. It was dark. It was hurtful. And God says, I forgive you. But I say, God, I can't forgive myself for what I did. I say, I get that. I get you forgive me. But I can't forgive myself. And so I carried that weight. I carried that burden with me still. I carried that identity of shame that, yeah, God forgives me, but I'm still, I was an adulterer. And in that moment, in that group, God showed me, convicted me of even more sin, as crazy as that sounds. It doesn't sound very positive, but it was good. He convicted me of a sin of pride, that I was elevating myself above God. He said, God, you can forgive me, but I can't. My standard's higher than, than yours, or I, there's something else I have to do. And God rescued me from that and said, Dan, I'm, I'm the judge. I'm the one who gets to decide. And again, he spoke to me and said, Dan, your identity is not in your sin. Your identity is not in your guilt and shame. Your identity is in me. You're my son. So where do we go with that this morning? There may be some of you here this morning that maybe you've struggled with some sin that you're hiding. You don't, aren't quite sure how to talk about it. You're embarrassed. You feel shame. And so you're hiding. And this morning, I want to encourage you that God is, is calling you out of that, not to shame you, not to condemn you, but to lead you to freedom in it. God is calling you to rest and to give you true joy that is Him in relationship with Him, that in spite of your sin, 
While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And he's inviting you into that. So maybe you have past sin, current sin, you have regret. And God says you can have forgiveness. So I want you to know there's grace. So if you're carrying shame and you're carrying sin, just like the psalmist did, you can cry out to God and you can talk to him. You can talk to him about it. And know that none of us here, none of us in the room, have any better standing with God because of our performance, because of what we do. That every person in this room needs Jesus. Every person in this room is a sinner. Each one of us have made poor decisions, decisions that we regret. And God says, I can heal that. And I can restore that. Some of you might know what that pain of of divorce is like. Maybe you've been sinned against. Maybe you've sinned against someone. Maybe you've uh, divorced and remarried, and you're wondering, okay, this this guy just got up and said how he did X, Y, and Z. Am I? I didn't do it like that. So what does that what does that mean? Um, I want you to know that we can't just take a broad paintbrush and and say this is the way it is this for everybody. Um, so we would love to just talk with you about your situation if if that's you. Steve and I would love to talk with you and walk through that. As I mentioned earlier, Steve walked through, with the, through that with me and shared in my pain, shared in my frustrations. Um, and we'd love to do that with you. And there's grace. There's grace for you. And God will meet you exactly where you're at, wherever that is in your relationships. And God can heal. God can heal. Maybe some of you are here this morning and, and you're waiting. You're waiting for, for something. You're waiting for healing. You're waiting for a gift. You're waiting for something that maybe everyone around you seems to have, but you don't. Maybe singles. Maybe, um, as hard as this is, maybe those of you that want to be parents, and you're waiting. And you may be asking the question, God, why won't you, why won't you give me this thing? Maybe you're waiting on something that's not a result of your sin. Mine, was my cons- mine is a consequence of my sin, what I've, I've done. Um, now, God has forgiven me, but I still have to face the consequences. I have right standing with God, but I still need to be obedient. Um, but there are some of you that that's not, that's not where you're at. You're suffering or waiting because of something else. And I want to encourage you that it may be frustrating, but God can do incredible things in the midst of that. God can direct you and lead you to him and experience a joy that you would not know apart from the waiting in the place that he has you in. I'm thankful that God has, has worked on my character, my integrity in ways that I don't know could have happened any other way. I mean, nothing's impossible for God, but I'm thankful for what he's done through this process. And God, God has given me joy. God has given me joy in the midst of it because I know I'm, I'm his. I know my identity isn't in my sin. I still regret what I did. 
I still grieve over that. I still wish I hadn't done that. But I know that I'm forgiven. And I know that God loves me. And I want to encourage you that God is with you in the midst of your situation, in the midst of your waiting. And he wants you to cry out to him. And he wants you to experience his joy. So as we wrap up, I'm going to turn again to Psalm 130. It's page 518, verses 7 and 8. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption. And he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. With the Lord, there's hope. Whatever your sin is, whatever the deepest, darkest part of your soul, whatever your deepest regret, there's forgiveness. God is a God that is steadfast. He is faithful when we are not. And he loves us when we were not very lovable. Um, so in just a moment, our uh, ushers will be around to, to take our offering. And uh, this will be a time for members and regular tenders to uh, respond in worship um, as part of uh, the body of Christ, part of the church, to support the, the work of the kingdom, to support the advance of the gospel here in Edwardsville. And... Uh, it's worship for them. And if you're visiting with us, don't, please don't, don't worry about that. We don't want your money. We're not looking for your money. Um, we want you to receive this service as a gift. We're glad you're here. Uh, we're glad you're with us. Um, there are also some response cards in, 